Good morning. Yeah, I want to bless God for the privilege to share today. Uh, I thank God for pastor and the leadership of the, of the church that gives this opportunity. Um, since, uh, you know, Pastor Eben has prayed, we, we want to go into God's word. Um, I want to congratulate us for this Labor, we- uh, Labor Day weekend. Happy Labor Day weekend. Uh, also about whole, uh, life group, I'm one of those life group uh, facilitators. If you want to join our life group, I tell you, you know, you, it's a wonderful life group. You can see us. Uh, we meet Sundays at 5 in the evening, and uh, it's a wonderful time every time we eat. So before we, <laughs> we share the word. So if you want good food, I'm talking serious good food, please, uh, home, homemade good food. So please join our life group. You will not be disappointed, I tell you. So, so today, we, we, we want to go into God's Word. Uh, for those of us that are watching online, we want to welcome you once again. So since we're celebrating Labor Day, um, we want to continue in the spirit of question and answer. I, I thank God for that. It ends, I think it ends uh, this, this, this Sunday before the book of Revelation. So today we're going to talk about God's Word on working and making a living. Uh, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible have to, have to say about, about some of us that are, uh, people that are working? And how do we do that? I mean, is this, what are, what are, is this biblical? So we'll, we'll talk about, you know, that's introduction. We'll talk about what is work and, you know, the society, what, what is society saying about work? We'll, we'll talk about, uh, also, why do we have to work? That's a good question. I mean, I, 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 I can ask, I ask that often. And then, is work a curse? Is it a curse to work? I mean, how come work is so hard sometimes? So we're going to talk about biblical instructions on work. What does the Bible say about work as we celebrate Labor Day? I will talk about what happens if you cannot work? What happens? And then we'll talk about dignity of work, rest, vacation. What does the Bible have to say about all that? Then we'll talk about, is retirement biblical? Is it? And then we'll talk about conclusions. So, and then we have introductions. So, uh, in the United States, we're getting ready to celebrate Labor Day, which is tomorrow. Uh, we do, ce- uh, why do we celebrate Labor Day? Why? See, Labor Day is celebrated the first Monday of September. It's a yearly celebration of economic achievements of the American workers. According to Wikipedia, uh, labor Day is a federal holiday to recognize and honor the American labor movement, the American workers. Uh, it was the trade union workers who proposed this holiday, and it was first celebrated in uh, 1887 in Oregon. So that is why it started by the trade union, to recognize and appreciate the American worker uh, and their contributions to the economy and the life of America. So as we're about to celebrate American workers and workforce, it is good to look at what God says about work and making a living as Christians. So what society believes about work and making a living? What does this society believe? You see, messages out there about work and making a living. One of them, it's a musical video that my, my children stumbled across 10 years ago. Uh, it's an African-American uh, uh, rapper. This guy, he, he sang the song, I've Got Bills. I mean, if you, if you, 
if you've listened to that, it's going to be, the man was buried in bills and letters, and, and the wife with their children were coming out of the car. And that was the video, the musical video. And as she was, as she opened the car, the door of the car, tons of bills and letters was flying out of the car. So, so the, the music had 96 million views. So it's just talking about the work life of a typical American. I've got bills. I've got to pay. I've got to work, work, work every day. And I've got mouths to feed. I mean, talking about children. So is, is working all about just paying bills and, and feeding people? Now, the second video, which came out a few weeks ago, which is a hit, by Oliver Anthony. How many of you have listened to Oliver Anthony? Oh man, that, that rich man, not of Richmond. I've listened to that over and over and over again. Now, this has become the working, American working people anthem, according to the media. Now, this guy captures the heart of the American worker. The video was released just a few weeks ago and has over 70 million views. Oliver Anthony is now an overnight American sensation. This young man, now 31 years old, Lives of greed uh, on Nightyega in, in uh, Farmville, Virginia. He has three dogs. He lived in a small trailer. He's a factory worker. Well, he should be worse a factory worker, making $14 an hour. So his music is all about American workers trying to make a living. But the politicians, men and women in suit in Washington, D.C., and the corporate overlords, who controls the politicians are messing up the rest of the American people. So this Anthony, this guy, he was struggling with mental health, alcohol, alcoholic addiction, and he just gave his life to Christ 30 days sober when he released this music. What a, what a testimony. So he sang, I've been selling my soul, walking all day, overtime hours. Blank, blank pay. I'm not going to tell you what he said there. So, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drive back home and drink my troubles away. What the world is coming to, people like me, people like you, it's a shame. So to him, you know, his life is just work over time, meaningless, wasting time away. You know, drinking is trouble away. Well, those troubles don't go away when you drink, actually. <laughs> they linger. So, but this captures the life of people, what they think about work. So, but we will see today what the Bible teaches or what the Bible says about work and making a living. I'm sure it will be a different perspective from Lunch Money Lewis and Anthony Oliver. So what is work? It is the activity involving mental and physical efforts done in order to achieve a purpose or result. Work is making a living. Activities such as job that a person uses physical or mental efforts to do usually for money. Each week, the average adult spends 40% of your waking hours working. Given that work occupies so much of our lives, it will be rational to expect God cares about what we produce during those hours and how we go about our work. God in the Bible tells us that he himself worked and continues to work and he has instructed us with, uh, entrusted us with important work. 
God has a plan for us and for the work we do. Why do we have to work? That's a good question. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see why do we have to work. We see that pattern in God himself. Genesis 1, 1 to 5, it reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. We see that in the beginning, God was working. He created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. God's work was completed by his words, let there be. Also, we see God at work. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, we read, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said in verse 29, so I, see, I have given you every herb that yields seeds, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to every, everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb to, for food. It is, it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we see God at work creating, uh, also bringing all the vegetations, all the animals to be. God was at work. We continue in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 to 17. God continued to work. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, verse 7. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now, now man in the garden. Eight. The Lord God planted a garden. See God at work? He planted the garden of Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the garden, the Lord God made tree grow to grow. That is pleasant to the sight. Good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there, it parted and became four river heads. Then it mentioned all the rivers. We move to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. So man gave Adam and Eve work. Uh, gave work. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you may not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here are the things we learn from these passages. Number one, we see that God dignifies work by not only creating the heavens and the earth and all that are in them, he also created man and put him in charge of creation. God also got his hands dirty 
by planting a garden and place Adam in it to work it and to care for it. Also, it continues. We see in Genesis 2, 7 to 8 and then 15. And then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nose the breath of life and man became a living being. So, so what are we seeing here? Your work reflects the image of God and it, fulf- and it's feel, uh, and it fulfills a calling from God. God planted the garden. He gave Adam and Eve responsibility to cultivate and to tend it. Right from the beginning, you see the partnership with which Adam participates in work of God, tending and keeping the garden of Eden. The same way, this is very important, see? God made Adam and Eve, Adam to participate in the, in the work at the garden. But this point also I'm going to make is very important. The same way God creates human life. He places that precious life in the harm of a mother from the womb to newborn to toddler to young adults. That is what God does. Partnership with the mother for the baby. Thank God it's not men taking care of babies. Thank God it's not men. Thank God it's women. Because... Because God fashioned it that way. Jesus Christ was a carpenter. Just an example of work. He was 30 years old before he began his ministry for three years. Think about that. Jesus held a hammer with physical hard work all day. I'm sure Jesus got his, his hands bruised. He was sweating. And he did that hard work of carpentry for for a number of years before he started a full-time ministry. So, the question also is, why do we need to work? Why do I need to work? We've, we've established the fact that, yes, God was at work, and God has created us to partner with him in working. The second reason why we have to work is service, is work is service. We are, we are serving Humanity and the creation. That is what God also uh, wants us to see. There's a book, a book titled God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. He gives an example of work, that work is service. This is a joke. He said, when you are praying the Lord's Prayer, saying, give us this day our daily bread, how does God respond when you pray that prayer? Well, God could respond by instantly providing the food that we need. If this is the case, then a prayer can be like ordering food at a restaurant like this way. If, if, if you think, give us this day our daily bread, do you think, uh, how does God respond? Do you think God responds this way? Dear God, please provide us with dinner tonight. I'd like a steak. And my wife and children want filet mignon, medium rare with side orders of potatoes and vegetables. The vegetables need to be organic. And the meat has to be free-range and organic and grain-fed. Oh, dessert. Oh, yes, Lord. Chocolate cake for dessert, Lord. It's when, we, when we ask the Lord, give us this day at deliberate, and you think, poof, the meat will just appear, just like God did in, you know, with uh, sending manna from the sky, from the people, for the people of Israel in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. 
But this is not the way God responds to give us this daily bread. Now, how does God provide our food? This is how God provides. First, a farmer caring for the cows and growing the potatoes and vegetables. Thank God for farmers. See? In our age, we want to run the, we want to run the farmers out of the earth. What will we eat if we tax the farmers? Talking about, uh, 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 you know, all these other things about, about, about animals and all that. So then the trucker who transports the food to the grocery store, the grocery store staff that puts the food on the shelves and check out the food, the owner of the restaurant hires a chef to cook the food and waiter to serve the food. God walks through these businesses that makes the plates and the silverware. For the designer to the people that works in the factories, God also provides your teenage children that eat the food in your refrigerator until it is empty. That's what those teenage kids, God provides them. They, they eat you dry. The refrigerator gets dry. So, see, God provides your meal through hard work of hundreds of people in multiple cities and countries. When you think about homes you live in, the clothes you wear, your education, all this is a result of God co-creating or partnering with people. Question. Why does our work matter to God? Why does it matter to God? What do we do? See, God called us to work with him to provide for people. As Christians, we must see our work as a critical way in which God is caring for humanity, human beings, touching and renewing this world. Our work matters because it is done in service to others, or for others. God uses us to get his work done. That is number one. And then God, uses our, uh, God also uses our work to get us done. What it means is, through our day-to-day work, God is is God is at work. God is renewing. God is teaching us. God is working in us and building so much into our lives to make us to be like him and to touch lives. God uses the work that we do to shape and form our hearts. He uses the work we do to mature us as disciples. See, statistics says that 70% of, of, of employed people in the USA do not like their jobs. 90% don't feel like getting up in the morning to go to work. Yes, I'm one of them. <laughs> when that alarm sounds at five, I want to kill that alarm. So, <laughs> But honestly, I wish Americans would thank God for America. Because in the third world country that I'm from, 50% of People that are able to work, 50% unemployment rate. Can you imagine that? Many states or government in the third world countries or many places all over the world, they hold salaries for many months for workers. Many pensioners die early without receiving their retirement benefits in many countries of the world. So, let me leave this joke alone. So the question three is, how come work has become so hard? Is work a curse? Is it? Now, I want to let you know that it was when Adam and Eve sinned that God cursed the ground and work became a toil and hard labor. 
This was not God's initial design about work. So let's see that. His work. Why is work so hard? Is it, is it a curse? So let's see what happened. Why work became so hard? So in Genesis chapter 3, we read from 6 to 19. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden, and then uh, Satan deceived them to eat the fruit that God told them not to do. So it was pleasant to their eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruits and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both, they were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, got among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I'm afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, well, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you to, to, to not eat? Now, Adam is just like a three-year-old. I, I could still see the partial innocence there. You know, when you're talking to a three-year-old, a two-year-old, who told you? I mean, Adam was like, yeah, I ate. I'm sorry. I'm hiding. Oh, I, it's, it's, you know, so you can see the way, you know, just like a, the, the, the partial innocence was still there. Then the, the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the, 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 of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are caused more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly will you go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and our seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Now, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth child. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, 17 to the end is where we're going. He's talking about work now. Then Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field in sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So it was after Adam and Eve disobeyed God that the cause comes, makes all of us uh, to face hard work, toil, sweat before we eat. This is now the day, the, 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 uh, uh, this is now the order of the day for all of us. No matter how spiritual you are, tongues and thistle will still grow on your field or your area. So that's what happens. That's why work becomes so hard. That's why we toil to make a living. It was part of the cost, part of the fall. Work is not part of the cost, but the toil, the sweating before you eat. Because tending the garden and caring for it was assigned to Adam and Eve before they sinned. See, our society now see work as punishment. We hear the word like, thank God it's Friday when it's weekend. And then when it's Monday, we say, back to the mill grind again. See, many Christians misinterpret the creation story to see 
work as a result of Adam and Eve sinning at the garden and therefore believing that work is a necessary evil. But God gave them work to do in the garden before the fall, before they sinned. Work is not a punishment. Work has dignity. Work is something that God does. God created us to work and work is part of what it means to be human. Also, work also includes not only what we do for a living, also those work like washing dishes, doing laundry, cooking, driving children to school, games, and volunteering. Work is as much a basic human need as food, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is simple food for our body and soul and for our well-being. Without meaningful work, we will sense a inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from working because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. See, people need work to live full, fully human lives. Working is not a punishment. Work has dignity. Now, let's talk about the New Testament instructions on work. What does the Bible say in the New Testament about work? We see that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 to 25, and then also Colossians 4, verse 1. See, instructions to Christians and our work. So that Colossians, from verse that 18, talks about wives submitting to your husband, fitting to the Lord. Husband, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Father, do not provoke your children unto wrath. You know, so what we see in this passage is the social duties as Christians. What God requires of me as a wife, what God requires of me as a husband, what God requires of us as children in a Christian home, what God requires of me as a, you know, in those days there were slave masters, but we talk about employee, employer. So it's talking about obey in all things your master according to the flesh. So what the Bible is saying is, as Christians, we need to put on the new man or the new woman. We will show a properly submissive attitude towards their masters or the boss the employer, the manager, the supervisor. This is another sphere of God's order of authority. Employees have a God-ordained role of obedience and submission to their employers or supervisor or manager or director. At this time, Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the Colossians, more than 50% of the population of the people in Rome were slaves. These were the status most of the professional people of those days. So, talking to them, those slaves were the workers. They were the employees. So, that's how we can look at it in our day, the employees. So, in verse 22, and the Christian church in those days, in those churches, they were filled with slaves and slave owners. And, and God was uh, trying to address the issue uh, with the early church about what are the roles of a worker and the boss. So verse 22 of Colossians 
3 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. How we work. We are always tempted to slack off on our jobs, thinking that we are only working for this person or this company or just answerable to that supervisor or that manager or director or HR. But God wants every worker to know, especially Christians, that ultimately we are working for God. Therefore, there should, we should do our work heartily and to the Lord and not to mere men or men or people. God promises to reward those who work with this kind of heart. Christians who is Christian or Christians who are dishonest, lazy, unreal, or, or unreliable has something more to deal with than whatever punishment from our earthly employer, our heavenly father, heavenly supervisor, heavenly boss may prepare something worse. You and I, when we get the job, we sign a contract to serve and do our jobs and receive pay for our work or our labor. I remember when I was a baby, as a baby Christian, after I gave my life to Christ, you know, I would take my Bible to work, try to read during work, my Bible, because I wanted to get close to the Lord. This was wrong. I was not paid to read my Bible. I was, pay, I was paid to work within the hour I was supposed to work. But in those days, you know, uh, so in verse 23, let's, let's continue, 23, on that Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Do your work heartily, energetically, with enthusiasm, to be a true witness for Jesus Christ. See, over 10 years ago, I used to work for a ministry in Africa. And, you know, there's a, you know, I used to complain about my work, how things are so rough, how things are so hard, how my pay is so little. I used to complain to, you know, so one day, one pastor told sir, he called me outside, he said, Faliki, come. I think, I, w- I want you to see something. I understand. I mean, I know you're having challenges, but look, at, look, think of yourself as working for God, not man. That God is your boss, not any ministry, not any agency. I tell you, that changed my perspective of work from then on. Well, that doesn't mean once in a while I don't slack off, you know, but God, God is merciful. So, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for your service, the Lord Jesus Christ. My work done for my employer, according to the command of the word of God, I am serving Christ and he is our paymaster. He will have, we will have a glorious reward at last. Though you are now working and making a living, you will receive both earthly and heavenly reward at last for what you're doing. Maybe since you are not involved in a profession of saving lives or preaching or teaching the Bible, your work is, you think your work is insignificant. Because just, uh, you are not just saving anyone's life. You're not a doctor. You're not a nurse. You're not a paramedic. You're not a firefighter. But maybe because you are not bringing about world peace, you think your work is not significant to God? Now, if you, if you are a student, let us do that to the Lord. The ultimate reward comes from the Lord, both here on earth and where we will get it in heaven. This is to believers who have received the promise of eternal life, being born again, 
having the promise of this new Jerusalem, heaven when we die. Verse 25. But he who go, who does wrong will receive the consequence of wrong which he has done and without partiality. You see, God also was not only speaking to the employee, employees, but God also was speaking to the employers. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 1, he's talking about the master, talking about the boss, the employers, the, the business owners. Give your bond servants, that means your workers, what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Business owners or employers must first be fair and just by imitating Jesus Christ and not showing partiality. Masters, employers are not to take undue advantage of workers by paying, uh, by failing to pay their wages or entitlement. See, Martin Luther, that preacher that nailed the 99 Theses on the wall or on the, on the, on the door, he said something. This is what he wrote. He said, the role of the house, housekeeper and the role of the housewife, maybe homekeeper, are the same as those who serve in the role of clergy and priest. Those teaching and preaching the Bible in terms of its relationship and reference to God. So he said, either you are a homeowner, or you are a housekeeper, or you are preaching the Bible, you are all doing it for the Lord. You know, there, is a, there was a mother, the mother of John Wesley, when these children, they had many children. When they were growing up, this mother was a homemaker. You know, it's, it's not easy for, you know, parenting, especially these little kids when they, you know, a lot of kids. In those days, people give back to a lot of kids. You know what this woman would do? This woman had this plaque to put herself, because sometimes, you know, had, uh, raising kids and parenting gets so hard. Especially for those, in those days, you know, they're like homemakers. She had this plaque put on. Three services holds here. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So she looks at it this way. As I'm preparing my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner for these kids, that's my service. That's my duty to God. So that was the right perspective for this woman when he was raising these children. And even cooking food, she sees it as unto the Lord. So what happens if you cannot work? That's the next thing. What happens if you cannot work? For those who are unable to work, to earn money, should not feel ashamed at this, but should like, joyfully accept God's provision of resources while they also seek the work he has for them. God has a work for you. If you can't work, you know, it, uh, maybe it's because of disability, uh, but also... We can be encouragement to medical professions. God can give us listening ears to people to hear and also to pray. So God has work for everybody. Now, because of time, let's go to this number six. Dignity of work, rest and vacation. The God of the Bible, God is hand dirty. God uh, mag uh, dignifies manual work and executive work. Executive work where the times God said and brought things to life. Also, delegating the work on earth to man to care for the garden. So but God was also, you know, he did the manual work. He also did the executive work. So maybe you are in the professional one, 
that calls the shot, you're the boss, or even the one doing the manual work. We must not be ashamed, talking of dignity of work, of our work or what we do for a living because it may not be glamorous. Remember, we work for God. I met a lady at a park in Camas. Uh, my job, I'm a visitation supervisor. I'm a visitation, uh, uh, I work for, I'm a contractor, I'm self-employed. I work for an agency that have a contract with the Department of Children, Youth, and Family. So my job is with the foster kids. So my job is to be the go-between, between the parents when the CPS takes your ch- the child. My job is the go-between because the parents must not know where the ch- children are placed. So my job is to take those kids from foster homes, take them to a Nicaragua ground, and let the parents come to visit. My job is to make sure parents walk through whatever they have to walk through to get their job, to get their kids back. That's what I do. So I'm always on the road. I w- I'm always uh, out there. See, I've seen a lot of things. I can't tell you. But, but talking about dignity of labor, I met a lady in Kamas, the park in Kamas in Washington, the city after Washington, uh, the city after Vancouver, who worked for a honey bucket company. And she was at the park to take care of the honey buckets. She was the first lady I've ever seen doing this type of work. I politely asked her about the job and, and what was the pay. She told me that last year, she made $70,000 doing honey bucket work. Wow. So, and also, I'm like, wow. So there should be dignity of labor. That kind of money you make to do that kind of job? You know, I, I'm always asking questions, you know, because I'm always in different homes. Uh, I, met, I met this HVAC guy, I mean, somewhere. I, I've forgotten which city. Okay. I should be Monroe. I, I, I was talking to him. I, how do you, I mean, these are just, you know, blue, is it blue collar work? Or what do you call that kind of, yeah. I was just talking to the guy. So what's, what's the thing now? I mean, he's been working there for years. And so what do you, how, how he said, yeah. He said he makes $100,000 a year. How do you have work? So I'm just saying dignity of work. I mean, dignity of labor. So uh, this, is a, this is a joke. There was a teenager who was doing parade. You know, it was, it was uh, uh, Olympia, Fourth of July parade. So his job was to pack animal poop. As he follows with a wheelbarrow and shovel and pack all the horse poop after the parade. You know, when the parade, you know, is the last guy. When all the queens and all the mayors and everybody waving and everybody clapping, you know. So the poor guy was the last guy. He has to pack the poop and wheelbarrow. So this guy was so ashamed. He's a young teenager. So his hoodies, he put his hoodies well so that people would not see his face. Covering his way, he wants people not to see his face. I am sure some of his classmates and some girls from his school were at the parade. The poor boy, I wish you had gotten a t-shirt, said, I'm proud of my job. Or, I pack poop for the Lord. I mean, <laughs> so you walk in, you know, dignity of labor. So God makes things happen by giving directions. So God gives dignity by his example to the manual worker, and to the professional worker. So let's talk about rest and vacation. See, in, in Genesis 2, after spending six days working, forming the earth, God rested from the work, setting an example of rest. In Exodus chapter 28, 10, 8 to 10, God instructs the Israelites to embrace pattern of rest also in Matthew 28, in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus 
when he was moving from a town to another town, the Bible says he was in, on the boat. He was sleeping. He was resting. So, what do we see? Jesus rests in a boat during a torrential downpour. Despite tidings rising and crashing against the boat, he was with his disciples, threatening to capsize the passengers. We can take comfort in this. If the Son of God needed to take a break every now and then, so do we. Okay, now let's talk about retirement. Is retirement biblical? The only place the Bible mentions retirement is in the Lord's in the Lord's instruction to Moses about rules for Levites men who served in the tent of meeting. So we see that in Leviticus chapter 8, 25 to 26. It specifies the age 50. They must retire from their service and work no longer. They may assist other, their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of the meeting, but they themselves do not work. So we see that's the first thing of, of retirement. Passage doesn't address individuals more broadly. And interestingly, it says there is still a role for them to play. Even if they are retired, but still told them you can still assist your fellow Levi. But many of the faithful, uh, many of the faithful in the Bible are described in the Bible worked until their final days on earth. Retirement is a relatively new practice that's become widespread in recent history. And thank God for those elderly that are retired so they can share the wisdom of their age to the younger ones like us. You see, I just want to give an example. My, my, my in-laws, they are visiting us from Africa. My father-in-law, they are retired. They are in their 80s. They are 86. Uh, both of them are all of, each of, they are 86 years old. They are visiting us right now from Africa. My wife's parents, uh, 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 they're retired, you know. Uh, my father-in-law was a uh, was a medical doctor who, who who studied in Germany. He speaks they speak German fluently, uh, and, and he had a very good private practice before he retired in Africa. My 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 mother-in-law too, a nurse, she's retired as well. Uh, but you know, this is this is what happened w- with me. I, my my father my father passed 27 years ago, but he worked for 35 years. He retired. Uh, let me let me tell you a joke. So when when I was I was in Africa in my thirties, I got a job with with an international organization called uh, uh, financed by the United States. Uh, it's an agricultural agent uh, company. Uh, it's called International Institute of Tropical Agriculture. So when I got that job, I would put my ID card on me. I, when the, when we're close at work, I will still leave the ID card there so that people will know where I work. I was <laughs> you know, so I would be marching, you know, everybody knows where I work. That was a wonderful work, just let people know. But after two months of work, I became so depressed. Then I looked at my father who worked 35 years before he died. Then I thought to myself, is this what I will be doing every day for 35 years? I began to respect my father who had worked 35 years. I began to look at myself. How will I get up every day for 35 years and do this work? But I understand now why you need to get up every day for 35 years. So I learned that many of the greeters also in some of these stores like Walmart and all these people, many of them are retired professionals 
I understand some of them are doctors and dentists who just, who retire, but they just want to come out and, and just see people or greet people. Just, you know, so, so you never look down on anyone. So, in conclusion, what are we saying today? That everyone should walk if you are able to. You know, we have some states where the government of the state is trying to be Father Christmas for everybody. But you see, God encourages us to work. For everyone, when, uh, for even when we were with you, we gave you this, this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Also, in conclusion, we see that work for, uh, work for God's glory and not for personal motivations for money or power or fame. That our work that we do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That whatever we're doing, it is done for the glory of God. No matter what you do to earn a living, you're still serving the Lord. Then we learned, in conclusion, work with all your heart. Give it all. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. That's Colossians 3.23. And then, also another point, pray for wisdom and guidance uh, regarding decisions relating to your work. You know, everyday work becomes, it may become so drudgery, it may become so whatever that is, but, you know, we still need guidance. God must, every day, must help us to know that, listen, we're serving, we're, 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 we're serving the Lord. You know, uh, and not man. Say, pray for the Holy Spirit to produce spiritual fruit in you in the way you go about your work. We need that. And lastly, I want to ask you, are you tired or weary of your job? Do you need strength at this time? See, Matthew 11 tells us, in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It is as we depend upon him, even as we, we get tired, we get fed up with all this, we're at our wit's end, God, Christ is beckoning to come. That he wants to relieve off of the load, of the burden, of the heaviness, of the yoke. He wants to give us rest on what we do. So once again, uh, maybe you're here today. It is hard to have this perspective if you've never given your life to Christ. So this perspective of working for God. This perspective, also, this to let you know that your work has eternal reward. If you're not a child of God, it is impossible for that to happen. So if you're here today, you want to give your life to Christ. You want God to help you through your work. You want to have this eternal perspective. If you're here today, you can pray with me. Or you can pray with us this morning. I want Elder Greg to come up and and, and close us with a word of prayer today.